from the Center for Conscious Communication, this is Leading Life. Hi everyone, my name is Stacy Carruth. I'm the founder of the Center for Conscious Communication, and this is Leading Life, a podcast spotlighting women business leaders who are making a difference, following their passion, and challenging the status quo. Today, we're going to veer off the path a little bit. Sarah Sage is my guest, and she is actually not a business leader. Sarah, though, in my conversation with her, she knows what she wants, and she goes after it. So I think she's leading her life in this really meaningful and purposeful way, and I thought you'd all like to hear about it as well. So I'd like to welcome Sarah Sage. Thank you, Sarah, for being here. Thank you for the introduction. That was very very sweet. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So, Sarah, tell me a little bit about your school life growing up and include a little bit about your hobbies and what your interests were, if you would. Yeah, so I was, um, I'm a Casper native, so I was born and raised in Casper, Wyoming. Um, Almost my entire family is here. And then I was homeschooled growing up um, for the entire period of schooling. And I was a gymnast, um, and that was quite a big part of my life. I did a lot of gymnastics. I want to say I started around seven and took it all the way into a super senior year around 18. And I've never not been active since. Um, I still do handstands. I still do, still do some acrobatics and aerial arts. Well, that's where I first learned learned about you and met you yeah. was with my daughter, actually. And you were teaching gymnastics at that time. Yeah, it was my very first job was a gymnastics coach. And I probably started 15 or 16 years old. And I was pretty excited to start. I loved that job. It was a lot of fun. Well, and I know the girls loved you, too. Yeah. You just seem to have this, even at that time, you seem to have this very free spirit. And also, though, a groundedness about you as well and this magnetism. So um, from the first time that I met you, I think all of those things kind of fell into place. That's wonderful. Thank you very much. I've never heard that because I was a kid. (laughs) So thank you. Well, tell me a little bit. You said you were homeschooled, and I'm curious. So... What's really inspired me and what we're going to talk about later is your travels more recently and how you've chosen to travel. That's what inspired me to talk to you and to bring you on the on the show. So I'm wondering how homeschool influenced you and your decisions in your life today. Do you think that there was a a correlation in some of your travels now and like I say we'll get more into that later but yeah it's a great question it really I've really had to reflect on this and ask myself some questions and what I've found is I think the idea of not being homeschooled is such a far removed reality compared to what I did experience growing up and the childhood years and the teenage years are so important and I feel like the traumas we experience and the joys we experience and the memories we make for the rest of our life we have a tendency to go back you know even when we're 80 years old it's like oh I did this thing when I was eight years old (laughs) you know everyone is unpacking and living from those years for a very long time Um, and I do believe that my strengths my challenges and my interests probably would have been the same regardless of my external environment um, and my schooling background and experience. 
-hmm. I think I would have always found gymnastics. I would have always found movement. I would have fallen in love with those no matter where I was. And my interest, you had mentioned like hobbies and interests. Uh, I was an avid reader. Mm -hmm. I was a total little geek. I (laughs) read so many books. Um, And when I was a teenager and got my driver's license, I was excited to go to the library. (laughs) I was so excited to go to the library as much as I wanted. Well, that's very telling. Yeah. And that, I just think, would always be the same. So your traveling, Sarah, really started when you went to Hawaii. Is that right? It did. So the first time that I moved um, was when I was 20, and I went out to Maui, Hawaii by myself. Um, And I did know some people out there, but I was very much on my own. And then I've been traveling ever since then. Um, I don't really like staying still very much, and I'm always bouncing around and moving and trying new experiences. So what, what did you do? How did you, how did you take care of yourself when you were in Hawaii? Were you just on a vacation and spending your days on the beach? Or, you know, what, what were you doing to be able to support yourself? Yeah, there's some fun stigmas around living in Hawaii, and one of them is that we go to the beach a lot, and that is one possibility, but Hawaii is very expensive. So a lot of the people that I found that live there full-time, um, you work a lot to be able to make ends meet. Um, my primary work out there has been revolving around farm work. So I've lived and worked on a couple different farms out there, and that's been a big part of my journey. Um, as of most recent, I was living and working on a bee farm, and we lived in community. Um, we had many aspects to our farm. We had cows, we had chickens, we had fruit orchards, we had vegetables, we had a large commercial garden and did pre-made food and fancy dinners. And it was a real joy. And that was a big part of my life was that farm. So you say we, how many other people were there with you? Oh, at the most, um, we had about 18 people working for us and living on that farm. Um, not as many people lived on farm. We had a more core community of people around 10 or so Um, and then we also had outside employees that would come in and work for the day. And how did you find out about that? Not everybody just goes to Maui and gets a job so did you know (laughs) what your job was going to be when you went or how did that work? So like I had mentioned I've been going there since I was 20 Mm -hmm. Um, and I've lost count this time in my life but I want to say I've gone and lived there at least eight times. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of joke that Maui is my heart home. It's always drawn me back and it's where I really light up. I find a lot of healing there, a lot of health, a lot of community, and the island always draws me back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mama Maui just takes me in and takes care of me whenever I'm there. So it's been varied. Um, this past time that I was there, I had worked on this farm previously and I had finished up a job and I had a couple unfinished uh, goals of mine that I really wanted to achieve, which is I loved this farm and I wanted to go back. And I had mentioned that it's a bee farm. So there was like 300 beehives. <laughs> it's a large production. Mm. And when I left, unfortunately, I didn't get to do a full honey harvest. Mm. And I said when I, when I left, I was like, I have to come back and I have to do a honey harvest. This is something I want to do. So... It just worked out very nice that one job was finishing and I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was like, oh, but Maui, (laughs) I can go do these other things I said I wanted to do. 
Um, and I had found that originally through a program called WOOF, which is Worldwide Opportunities on Organic Farms. And this is something that has been a big part of my life. It's a little unknown. It is well known within the community of the WOOFers mm -hmm. and farms that utilize WOOF people um, to run their farms. And it's a website that you go on to and it links farmers with volunteers. And what you do is you work a couple hours a day, um, the farm sets the hours, and then you get food and rent in exchange for work. And there's a lot of knowledge exchange that happens as well. Usually these um, gardeners and farmers and business owners know a lot. So you get this really beautiful, almost internship mentorship at the same time. And it's an incredible program, and it's very much how I um, managed to pull off Italy and Europe as well, because I used that program. So let's go there then. So you left Maui and then chose to go to Europe. Yeah. Um, in between there, I was living in Utah. Like I said, I move around a lot. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm going on like my fourth place this year already, I think. Now, when you were in Utah, were yeah. you were you woofing? I wasn't. It was winter. Um, I was pursuing other goals. Like I said, I I love vision boards. I love going for what I want. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes just getting a little taste of what I want helps me define what I want in the bigger picture of my life. But it's also just a great way to live, I think, is you're constantly making little goals and you're checking them off or you're putting something on a vision board and it's been there for five years and it's like, well, let's go tackle that. Like, let's go try. So I went out there to, it sounds silly, but go try gyms. I had never lived in a big city. Mm -hmm. Maui is not a big city. There's millions of tourists, but it's still not a large city, mm -hmm. um, nor is it a very large island. And Wyoming is not a large city. Right. <laughs> There's not a whole lot in that realm. So it was like a big adventure to go live in a big city. I was like, I want to go try this out. I want to go try gyms. Um, I found some aerial gyms. I'd always wanted to train aerial arts a little more seriously. It's been something that's been in the background of my life for quite some time. Um, but I was like, no, I want to like go to a good studio and actually try this out and let it be be my main focus for a little bit. Wow. And I did that before Europe. So aerial gems mm -hmm. in Salt Lake? Yes. Was that the city yeah. that you were? Okay. And so that's ropes and harnesses and things like that? Or what, yeah. what is an aerial gem? Let's just yeah. touch on that briefly. <laughs> so there's actually a couple in Salt Lake City. There's a good little community out there for aerial arts and performing arts and dancing. Um, I don't think it's unknown that Utah is known for dancing because they have a lot, some ballet companies out there and some big schools. Um, but that also bleeds into the aerial community a little bit. So mm -hmm. I was going to a couple different studios. I was trying out all different ones. There's something called the Lyra or the Hoop, which I love. I'm not great at it, but it's something I love to play with and I love to try. I found a couple different studios that offered that. Um, as well as aerial pole, which is mm. something that's really not around in Wyoming as far as I know, but in other states it's a bigger deal. And there's competitions, there's worldwide competitions, it's highly acrobatic, there's different styles, but I was playing with that as well. 
Oh, yeah. So your gymnastics is coming into it as yes. well. Um, my gymnastics background never left. Mm-hmm. It's morphed and formed, but you'll still catch me doing a handstand all over the place. <laughs> Even me, Sarah. I did gymnastics and I still will do a back bend during yoga or a handstand. I mean, I just think that's something that yeah. it just becomes part of us. I think it does. And people that have seen that have not let that childlike acrobatic play leave their bodies. They mm-hmm. stay young and healthy and happy. Mm-hmm. And there's just something about those playful movements being integrated into our exercise mm-hmm. that keeps us young and happy, I think. Mm, I love that. I've tried to talk Kelly into doing an adult gymnastics oh, class yeah. and he's just not agreeing with me. So I like how you're, <laughs> how you're finding these other outlets. Yes. Um, so in other states, I have been able to find like adult tumbling classes and whatnot. And mm-hmm. when I was in Maui, um, there's a good little circus community out there. And it was just all adults that would rent out a gymnastics center. <laughs> and we would go take over until the kids um, came in. <laughs> oh, I need to go to Maui. Okay, yeah, that's on recommend. my list. That's going on my vision board. <laughs> all right, so let's talk about then. So you had this stop off in Utah and how fun. And then you went to Europe. Mm-hmm. And tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I did start out with a tour group. I was just so afraid to travel abroad um, by myself. So this was a really good introduction on Europe. The The tour group planned it like that. It was 23 days and you hit 12 different countries in that 23 days. It's mm. very fast, but it was a wonderful way to get little s- snapshots um, and little pictures of where I'd want to go again in the future. And it was such a beautiful way to gain confidence and mm. self-esteem with traveling. Most of the people on that tour group were traveling alone, and then you come together alone mm-hmm. and experience and explore. And that just helped me out so much to see all these people, because so many of us after that tour that we didn't go home. Mm-hmm. Um, I stayed for three months, which is like what a tourism visa is, um, at least for America to Europe, you get three months. So a lot of these people were taking a full three months and they were going to Greece, or they were going to Norway, or Italy, or wherever else. And it was so cool to see all these people confidently traveling, and it just inspired me to go out and try even more by myself than I already was. So 12 different countries. So did you have an idea of where you were going to go after that tour, or did the tour spark an interest in you to go to your next place? Yeah, I both. Um, I'm a big fan of set goals and go for them, but be very detached from the plan. (laughs) Uh Get yourself like up to speed, get yourself on the road, but then don't be attached where that road goes. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're attached to the way the outcome looks, you'll most likely not be as satisfied with it versus just, I'm going to get myself there. I'm going to put myself in the position and we're going to see what happens. So it was a little bit of that. Um, I had told everyone that I was going to go do this woofing program and work on farms in Italy, but I was very, very open to alternative routes happening. Um, following your intuition, yeah, really, it sounds intuition, like. Um, following connections. Mm-hmm. I love following my connections of like, here's a door, go this way. Here's a door, go through that one. And then the, the path just kind of unfolds in a really beautiful way. Mm. So I did make it to Italy. I said I would, and I did. <laughs> <laughs> 
So where was your first stop in Italy then? You were wolfing at this yes. time, so you were going to a farm, right? Yep. I went to three farms when I was in Italy, and that took about two months. And I did two farms through the WOOF program and then another program called WorkAway, which is similar to the WOOF, but it's not just for farming. It's not just organic farm. It can go into um, all kinds of different tasks. Um, and I did manage to meet up with a friend's sister over there because, we, again, we were both a little frightened to travel by ourselves. So we were able to meet up and work together on some farms. Um, mm -hmm. And we were in the Parma region. And that was fun because that's where they make Parmesan cheese. <laughs> Gonna love that, right? Yeah, so it was really fun. Um, one of the great benefits of doing this sort of travel, it's called slow travel, is one, you save huge amounts of money. Um, it's very accessible. It makes worldwide travel very accessible. And two, you get knowledge. Like, you get great experiences. And then three, you get a wonderful cultural experience change as well. So you stay with the family, they're to, there to kind of help you and guide you. Um, it can be a great language exchange. I don't speak Italian, so I only chose families in places that spoke English. Mm -hmm. But if you were like interested in speaking another language, you get a practice. Mm. Yeah, to immerse yourself, because yeah. really that's the best way to learn a language. Yeah, so there was so much traveling. When I was traveling in Italy, there was so much that I picked up that I wouldn't have on my own. Like, we got to go to a farmer's market that was like the Parma Festival. And we went to the little building where it said um, that the original Parmesan cheese was made. Oh, wow. And there was just all sorts of fun little things like that. Yeah. So you pay for your airfare yes. to get to wherever you're going. Yeah. And then tell me a little bit about, did you save money before you left? Uh, because you're not being paid, right? Mm -hmm. you're, no. You're volunteering. Yeah, these programs are volunteer, so they're work exchange programs. You're putting in man hours and physical labor in exchange for food and rent. Mm -hmm. And I have only had very good experiences on WOOF. There's thousands of farms on these platforms. Um, and workers, so you do need to trust your intuition and use some some internal guidance to choose these farms, but I've only had wonderful experiences. Um, and the way that it works, again, is you don't get paid, it's an exchange. Um, so you do, if you want to do something like this, you definitely need to like save the money and be prepared. Um, and for my lifestyle, I move and travel so much that I don't have a house that I own. I don't have a lot of ties. I live very um, freely. <laughs> mm -hmm. And simply. And simply. So that made it very accessible to me. So can you say a little bit about how you overcame your fear? I hear you saying that you met your friend's sister there because you were both a little bit afraid to travel on your own, and yet here you were. You were doing it. So how... How did you overcome your fear of leaving your hometown and the comfort of your family? Yeah, a lot of it is internal stubbornness. <laughs> I really want to experience, experience these things and live my life um, beautifully and fully and not have regrets when I die or regrets at any time. So it's almost like the fear of regret or the fear of not living my life fully overrides other fears. <laughs> <laughs> 
but yeah, it was a, it was a big step. I was very, very nervous. I was very nervous. It was very nerve wracking going to Europe, um, by yourself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've definitely learned how accessible it actually is. And a lot of it is fears, um, and how much potential there is to miss out on beautiful experiences and miss out on a beautiful life because we're scared. Mm, that's, and, that's your biggest learning. It sounds like that it you took away learning. from that. Um, it's almost always, probably 99% of the time, it's been incredibly rewarding when I move past the fear and just go for it anyway. And just be brave, be vulnerable, and just go for it. So what was your biggest fear? What, you know, when you were still sitting at home and you were thinking, oh my gosh, I'm, I want to go to Italy. Mm-hmm. I don't know the language. I've never been there. I don't know anyone, really. Um, what, what did you have in your mind would be the scariest thing that could happen? Oh my goodness. It's very, um, media based. I feel like every woman is terrified of being kidnapped and put into sex trafficking. (laughs) That's a, yeah, it was very like media, Hollywood movie news, scary, scary, scary stories. Like that was very much the fear. Um, is that something very bad would happen or even just something like your credit cards get stolen, your phone gets stolen, and what do you do? You don't know anyone. Where are you supposed to go? How are you supposed to figure that out? So just the fear of the worst-case scenario happening. Yeah. Well, you are a beautiful young girl, too, so I can see that there would be some some fear in that because that does show up in our media so often as well. But when you got to Europe, did you have any sense of that? Because... I, if I remember correctly, you were staying in hostels. I was, and yeah. Yeah, so did you have like a nervous sense that maybe there were bad people out there or what was your experience of that? I didn't. I'm a huge proponent of strengthening and living by your intuition. So a lot of this was trusting my gut and trusting my intuition. And there are some just everyday life factors like don't put yourself in a weird position don't be drinking by yourself in a bar in the middle of rome at two in the morning like that could potentially be a frightening dangerous situation but that situation has had many precursors to get you there Mm -hmm. so there are just little things like that but that's everywhere that's everyday life to not be stupid and not be dumb and I always followed my intuition and I always followed my gut. And like I did stay in a really sketchy hostel. <laughs> it has come to be like one of the best travel stories. But it was very nerve-wracking in the beginning. And to gather myself and calm my thoughts and call a friend and realize my mind was scared. I externally was frightened. But my gut was saying, stay. Like I had even got on my phone and tried to book another hostel because I didn't like this one. And my gut was like, stay, 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 stay. And I was like, I don't like that answer. <laughs> I don't like that answer, but I know better than to um, disobey that intuition when it's like speaking to me clearly. And that's how I, I rely on that so much. I rely on that to live my life. Mm. And you were safe. I was safe the whole time. It was the most magical, beautiful experience. Um, I do believe in the power of watching your thoughts and taking care of your body and your mind and your spirit. And if you do a lot of internal work to keep yourself in your most beautiful high energy, 
that external world can reflect that. And that's how I felt when I was in Europe is I refuse to meet people that aren't for my highest benefit. So tell me a little bit about the farms that you were on. You were meeting people on these different farms. You said you went to three different farms. Is that right? Yeah. And tell me what their specialty was or what kind of farm they were, if you would, just to give us an idea. So the first one um, was a really incredible, beautiful farm. It's called Skaket, Agricola Skaket. It's all in Italian, so I'm not sure how many people are going to be able to benefit from like the website and the social media, but if you want to look it up, it's Agricola Skaket. And a really, really beautiful man ran that. He had like a professional job um, and had quit doing that because he was miserable and he wanted to go into like a more holistic lifestyle and something that made him happy as well as did not harm the earth and its inhabitants. Mm -hmm. And he's created this beautiful farm um, with some permaculture aspects some biodynamic aspects. He's worked with some shamans in Mexico. So there's some really beautiful underlying like Buddhist shaman spiritual practices that revolve around that farm. Like for example, one day um, he's a beekeeper and there was a swarm And if you've never seen a bee swarm, um, they'll leave their hive and they'll go make like a little ball in a tree. And it's literally just a ball of bees. It's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And they're very docile. They often won't sting because they're just like protecting their queen and they're protecting um, the splitting um, being a swarm. Um, So they're often very docile. Mm -hmm. So you can almost just go right up to these swarms and just go stare at these thousands of bees like in a ball. So when we were, my friend and I were at his farm, we were there during swarm season. So they have a season that they do their swarming and it landed in a tree and he wanted us to go up there and put your gloves on your bee suit and you go like kind of put it into a box and you trap them and you create a new hive from that. And he, I had asked like, well, why don't you just cut the branch? Like, it makes sense to just cut the branch instead of like kind of pull all these bees off the branch. He goes, well, the tree doesn't, the tree didn't ask to be cut. Like, I'm not going to hurt the tree. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, that's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Because I was just like, well, let's just cut the, cut the tree down. <laughs> He's like, nah, I don't work like that. So Yeah, very holistic. Really, yeah, very holistic. Really beautiful respect for all living things on that land. Mm-hmm. Even down to the ones that you don't see. Uh, lovely. Um, yeah, so that was your first farm. That was the first one. The second one was a lavender farm. Um, in Tuscany. So we were over in some alpine mountains in the Fivizano region of Tuscany. And they just had a really cute land. They had a couple of little animals that we helped care for and they ran like an Airbnb sort of place. And we took care of the lavender fields. There was a lot of weeding. There was oh. thousands of plants that needed weeding. <laughs> Lots of weeding to be done there. Yeah. And then the third one was a little dairy up in back in the Parma region. And it was this family that had also really beautiful practices of like, we want to treat our animals well. So they had some ancient varieties of cows and I might not get these numbers right, but the breeds of cows that they had were like non-modified. They weren't bred to be really high producing animals. Cause that can be really hard on the animals. I think many people have seen like Food Inc and some of these food documentaries, Mm -hmm. that genetic modification isn't just about the corn or the soy. It does happen with animals. 
um, and the horror stories of the chickens being bred with such large breast that their legs break. Right. Um, so this happens to the milk cows as well. And if you've been around milk cows, you can look at them and they're like, oh, they're funny looking. Like when you really look at them, <laughs> they would not survive in the wild. <laughs> There's no way. Um, so again, these numbers won't be correct, but it was something in the area of their cows produced like 15 to 20 liters of milk a day versus like a commercial milk cow would produce like 80 liters a day. Wow. So the production was much, much smaller and they worked their asses off. They were just one of the hardest working families I've ever met because your animals don't produce as much and you can't sell as much, Mm -hmm. Um, but they're doing it for, they believe that it's the right thing to do. Um, So it was an incredible family to be around and they made cheeses and it was great. Mm. Yeah, really cared deeply for their animals to the point where we want our animals to not just be healthy, but be um, like evolutionarily healthy as well. Yeah. We want them to have strong bones and proportion, proper proportions. Mm. Care for the animals, care for the land. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it sounds so romantic, really. It was beautiful. Yeah. So you were in Europe for three months Mm -hmm. on this tourism visa or tourist visa, right? Yes. And did the travel around the countries and then landed in Italy and then back to the United States. Yeah, I did have a little stopover in London to see Stonehenge because I think every... Everybody who resonates with like little spiritual practices should go to those sites. Yeah. <laughs> so that was really beautiful, and I spent a few days in London as well. Um, and then I made my way back to the States because I was out of time. Because <laughs> your visa ends, and you have yeah. to leave then, right? I mean, you do. there's some yeah. pressure um, around getting out on the... Yeah, uh, there's, there's real consequences to messing with visas, <laughs> so don't mess with them. <laughs> So you're, you're back in Wyoming, you're visiting your family, mm-hmm. uh, and your time is pretty limited here. So what's your plan now? Where are you traveling to next, Sarah? Yeah, so Wyoming's um, kind of a stopping point for me. I have a lot of family here, and I love them dearly. Uh, it's, it's hard for me to be away from them for too long, so I like to stop in quite a bit and spend time with my family. Um, and then I'll be starting a cross-country road trip tomorrow. I'm going to be going all the way over to New Hampshire. Mm. Um, it's a long drive, and it's going through quite a few states I've never been in. I haven't spent time in that part of America. So it's fun to continue to travel a little bit in a different way. Um, road tripping is one of my favorite favorite ways of seeing and sightseeing and exploring. Um, and there I took a job on a farm. So I'm going to continue down that path of working with food and maybe trying to better the planet and my life through these beautiful foods, these beautiful animals. And you're traveling by yourself again? Oh yes, always. <laughs> <laughs> and meeting up with a group of friends there, is yeah. that true? People that you do know at this farm? Yeah. So I do have some friends over there that I met in Maui, mm-hmm. um, as well as Montana. So friends from Different aspects of my life um, are over there, and we're kind of meeting up and going to be working on the same farm, so it's really beautiful. So you're creating this community of Mm -hmm. people where you just can meet up in different places. You're in the same circle. Uh, You just don't travel together all the time, but you 
Yeah, that you have these meetups. Yeah, I've been, I have really wonderful friends and a lot of my friends live the similar, live a similar lifestyle to me. We all travel around a lot. Um, it's kind of fun to see where I'll actually meet my friends because it's really like if we're in the same state, <laughs> we'll meet up. Um, and we both, like so many of us love to travel. One of my dearest friends, we both love to travel to the same states, so we'll often meet up hmm. just wherever our work finds us. <laughs> so I wonder, this all sounds so fun and exciting and so heart-led, I think, as yeah. well. I think that's what really captures my interest most. I wonder if there are any decisions that you've made in all of this travel that you would consider a mistake? You know, I don't, I would say for the most part, I do put a lot of heart and intuition into decisions, um, especially the big ones. Like every little task of the day, I'm not necessarily like stopping and being like, what's my intuition say? But sometimes I am. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes I'm muscle testing. Um, I'll even muscle test with food of like body. Would you like to eat this? Would you like to eat this? Um, what intuitively feels best? So I will use it on a day to day, but for these big journeys, it might take me quite a bit of time to really make a decision that it is the right decision. So with my decision process, I kind of almost like weed out the aspect of regret or mistakes because it's already been thought about. Mm. Um, and usually when there is a mistake, I don't even totally love that word. Mm -hmm. It's a learning moment. Yeah. And sometimes those are hard and oftentimes I wouldn't have seen it coming anyway. It was something outside of my realm of thinking or seeing. I was like, oh, I didn't even know that was a possibility. Oh, now I have to learn that. Um, for example, I'm not a very techie person. And sometimes the tech stuff um, throws me off of like, oh, I got to get this app. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do some like phone things. And then that throws me off. And it's not, it's not a mistake, but it was like, oh, I didn't know that let's learn a little bit real quick mm -hmm. <laughs> to make this journey go smoother. Yeah, just, yeah, I'm not even going to comment to that. I'm just going <laughs> to leave that. I think that's great. So what are your greatest moments of pride and celebration in all of this, Sarah? I would say I've overcome a lot in my life. Um, I got very lucky. I kind of started off on like a self-improvement journey pretty early on. Um, back in my gymnastics days, I had really severe back pain. Like it was just absolutely mind numbing. I really dealt with a lot of back pain um, in my later years of gymnastics. And like two weeks before my senior state, I broke my arm. I fell off the, the bars and just had to get surgery. And it was a big thing. And I missed state my senior year. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. It was one of the best things. That you broke your arm and yeah. that you missed state? Yeah. Oh, tell me more. Yeah. So it led me, it was like the catalyst for my life of discovering everything. That's really been a huge benefit. Um, nutrition, yoga, exercise, proper exercise, intuition, vision boarding, all those kind of stemmed from me breaking my arm. Like not mm. fully. There was seeds earlier on in my life, but that was like just such a large catalyst. Um, I remember going to 
So I had to miss um, state, but I got to go to regionals the next year. Mm. And I don't think I was in good enough shape to have done well at state to make it to regionals. And going to regionals uh, was a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, It was kind of a fluke. I shouldn't have been there. (laughs) I should not have been there. But it was just like the best damn day of my little life so far, (laughs) 18 years old. And that really set me up to um, maybe get like a little bit of a window into this is what life is like when you get to dream and you get to achieve or you get to think bigger than you could ever dream or imagine. And it happens and it might look different than you think it was going to look like. I certainly didn't win regionals, but I was there (laughs) and I was having a lot of fun. Um, I'd gone to a chiropractor and she heard that I was going to regionals. I was very nervous. I was very scared. I knew I was not really a good enough gymnast to be there, (laughs) but I, like I said, it was kind of a fluke that I ended up there and she's like, you should really watch the secret. And I think that's kind of like a classic metaphysical thing is like the secrets, which comes from the Abraham Hicks productions. Um, it's a good introduction. There's Mm -hmm. so much more to that world. But for people that are totally unfamiliar with, I think, maybe taking the reins of your own life and not letting societal beliefs or childhood beliefs or cultural beliefs lead your life, but I started to be like, this is my life. I want, I want this. I want to do this. Mm-hmm. So it's a great introduction. Um, so I had read that. I was freaking out and so nervous that my mom took me to like a... Uh, some sort of session where she did like a little subconscious session of like trying to help me gain confidence. It didn't really Mm -hmm. work, but (laughs) it was a good, like good. It was just like a little seed planting. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, that was that thing. Um, It started me on a diet. I was really nervous to go compete with like these gymnasts that were, you know, at regionals and I was not in any sort of competitive shape to be there. So it made me like focus on my diet. I was doing the gym. I went and talked to like a friend that led led gym classes, not Mm -hmm. gymnastics classes, but gym classes. And he told me a little bit about training and how to fuel your body. Then I found some websites and it was just everything kind of happened because of that. Yeah. So regionals, it sounds like was this catalyst to learn so much Mm -hmm. and then also showed you through the help of the secret or the law of attraction yes. in the, the secret that you can achieve these things. If you, if you have that vision of what yeah. you want, it takes work. Yes, it does take work. <laughs> and you can get there. Yes, I would agree. Um, I do believe in these practices. I've seen them work. I really have seen them work. Um, I'm a big proponent of yoga. Like not necessarily just a yoga class, but the traditional foundational teachings of yoga. I'm a huge fan of. Mm-hmm. Um, those play a huge part. So yeah, everything has just kind of webbed off from that. So it's one big, beautiful web. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when you're talking about the teachings of yoga, the yamas and niyamas mm-hmm. and yeah. some of that. Yeah. Yeah, the the beliefs that underlie all of the physical practice of yoga. Yeah. More the meditative. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like a more um, holistic view of yoga. Asana is a very small portion of what yoga is. 
in the asana are the physical postures that gets translated into like seat it's your seat mm. um, and sometimes people don't know that there's more to yoga outside of the posture and the poses right but there's a huge world of yoga and those are the aspects of yoga that have really helped impact my life not that asana hasn't asana has been huge mm -hmm. and it's also a very good in like anyone can do asana mm -hmm. and then the rest of yoga kind of follows mm -hmm. i think it happens like even if you try to resist it happens <laughs> yeah there's something about yoga there's something about it yeah it weeds its way into your life even when you're like i don't want to do that i'm not going to be one of those people and then you become that person <laughs> So everyone beware if you yeah. haven't tried yoga yet. Beware. <laughs> if, if you don't believe in it, you will. <laughs> so if uh, I'd like to kind of sum up here, Sarah, by asking yeah. you this final question. Yeah. If you could share one piece of advice with our audience, what, what would that be? That is a hard one. I listen to a ton of podcasts and this question often comes up on podcasts and I'm always like, what would I say? <laughs> and now here is your chair I am. And it is a hard one. And I'm very torn between many answers. But I almost do want to say do yoga. Because mm. I do believe so much happens through yoga. And I believe that if you want to improve your life do small steps and the rest will come mm. you know do the internal work and the external world will reflect that i believe there's a strong correlation between that internal thought process and our internal health and our external the external health of our world like what gets reflected back to us and what we get to live um, what we get to live but what we also choose to live mm. but yoga can be nutrition it can lead you into being embodied if you're not very in touch with your body and your intuition it can lead you to that if you don't have a strong spiritual connection it can lead you to that if you're in physical pain it's hard to live life when you're in physical pain a lot of these bigger goals are harder to achieve when you just hurt mm -hmm. but it can provide great healing and then you can begin to live life more openly and freely and pain-free. Mm. And travel the world. And travel the world, <laughs> if you want. <laughs> <laughs> if that's where it's leading you, huh? Yeah. Well, thank you, Sarah. Yes, oh my gosh, you. it has been such a treat to talk to you. Thank you so much for being such an inspiration and sharing your story with me and with our audience. I am just, I just, it's such a treat. It's oh, a treat to have you here. It was so fun to be on your podcast, and I greatly appreciate you inviting me. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Leading Life, a production by the Center for Conscious Communication, hosted by me, Stacy Carruth. If you like today's show, please subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. We love seeing you spread the word on social media. You can find us at the Center for Conscious Communication on Instagram and Facebook. We always want to know who you're interested in hearing on the show, so send in your requests to Stacy at the Center for Conscious 
That's C-O-M-M dot com. This episode was produced by Stacy Carruth and Ty Pierce. I'd like to thank Ty for his artwork and technical guidance. Music by Marcus Way. I'm Stacy Carruth, and you've been listening to Leading Life. mindful minute. Becoming more mindful of what we're thinking can have a calming effect. Many of us think that our feelings are caused by what's happening around us when actually it's how we're thinking about what's happening around us that makes us feel as we do. It's why two people can experience the exact same thing and feel differently about it. To become more mindful of your thoughts, start by taking a few deep breaths and notice how you feel. Now, pay attention to what you're thinking. It may sound simple, but capturing a thought or a cluster of thoughts can be challenging because they are so automatic. Neurobiologists say we have as many as 70,000 thoughts every day, and most times they fly under our conscious awareness. When you capture your thought, consider writing it down or making a note of it in your phone if that's easier. Seeing your thought written out helps to examine it. And it can help us decide if we can know that that thought is absolutely true or if it's serving us. We report our thoughts like they're fact, but thoughts actually are just subjective and they can be questioned, challenged, and even changed. When we're less rigid and more flexible about what we're thinking, we feel less stressed and more calm more present, and less controlled by intense emotions. And the first step is simply noticing. Whether you feel sluggish or not as confident as you would like, becoming more mindful of the thoughts that are driving you to feel as you do and influence how you show up is a powerful way to feel more present, calm, emotionally regulated, and in control. I hope you'll take a mindful minute out of your busy schedule today for you and your peace of mind by taking a few conscious breaths, noticing how you feel, and then capturing the thought or the thoughts that are causing you to feel as you do, you're taking a giant step towards feeling more empowered and grounded today and every day.